Alright y'all, what is going on? This is your man L. Jamal coming through with another edition of Never Out of Bounds. Of course, this is the place we can say what you want as long as you got the facts. We have a bit to get into today. Uh, we have a word on the street segment. I'll be giving you guys an update on what's going on with uh, Russia and Ukraine. I'm also going to get into some drama on, along the home front, uh, this time we're dealing with immigration, and then we're going to get into some sports. I got an NFL update for you, of course, uh, week three, or yeah, I think week four is upon us, actually. So I'm going to go over week three, all of week three's action, and then we're going to go over some headlines there, and I also got a, a an addition or yeah a new addition of upon further review going over one of my favorite football movies of all time the replacements and then we're going to get into an mlb update as well uh, we're going to take a look at the standings one more time uh well basically the regular season standings to see who's won the division so on and so forth uh we'll be talking a little bit about the playoffs as well and then i got some headlines to go over from base major league baseball as well so let's go ahead and get into it like i said uh with the word on street segment of course russia is still at it with ukraine and um recently uh they've had their provinces that they've taken over within ukraine and uh, they've had them vote for annexation now uh, of course they ended up voting in russia's favor of course they're controlled pretty much you know 100 percent by russia so this is no uh you know this is a foregone conclusion. Uh, this is no surprise. Now, this is a quote coming from Kremlin spokesperson Dmitry Peskov. He goes on to say the situation will radically change from the legal viewpoint, from the point of view of international uh, laws, uh, with the court, with all corresponding consequences for protection of uh, of those areas, ensuring and ensuring their security. So, uh, basically, what they're saying here is uh, by annexing these areas officially. This makes this Russia territory. So any engagement within these areas can promote or provoke Russia into some type of, you know, even further onslaught. Now, this also comes on the heel of them looking to mobilize. Of course, this is Putin's call here to up, to mobilize up to 300,000 more men to, uh, you know, take up this cause. Now. The thing about all this is, again, they're trying to justify why they're invading Ukraine uh, by, you know, basically trying to flip things up and say, well, a court well, you know, again, if, you know, Ukraine attacks any of these areas or corresponding areas, you know, meaning these um these provinces and that being any of their allies and that includes of course the u.s it does any type of attack in these areas again this is an affront to us this is technically our territory you know this is you know this requires some type of major you know response now of course they've threatened nuclear you know weapons as well now the thing about this is you can't see through the fog well if you can't see through the fog just yet let's be real here Russia invaded Ukraine. So again, there is no, you know, again, there is no justification for any type of further provocation on Russia's part. Uh, again, David, they invaded, they invaded Ukraine. Now, as far as these annexed areas are concerned, uh, the, these areas have already been under control by Russia for some time now. Uh, as far as I'm concerned, the majority of the fighting hasn't necessarily been been in those areas outside of you know russia of course moving through those areas to advance into actual ukraine 
So again, the the real battling has the real battles have actually been in Ukraine borders, not in these annexed areas or potentially annexed areas, quote unquote. So not in Russia territory anyway. Uh, this has been a defensive war on the account of the Ukrainian people. Now I'm not going to get into you get into you know these you know the Ukrainians really being Nazis and all that. I think that's BS because we know for a fact that Russia is communist and for what it's worth. If we're saying that China is our enemy and that Russia is somehow, well, sorry, and Russia is buddy-buddy with China, then that would make them both our enemies from our front. So we can't turn around and say, oh, well, China's an enemy and Biden wants to be buddy-buddy with China and he wants to be similar to China and then somehow be giving uh, Russia some type of pass and say, well, they're okay. They're fighting against Nazis. I think that part is bullshit. And if it is true, well, let's be real here. Neither one of them should be our partners then and we shouldn't be involved in any type of way if that is the case so again how y'all want to look at it now of course like we mentioned before uh you know putin and his government has decided to mobilize up to 300,000 more men these people are not having it already a hundred thousand people uh well men of course have uh i guess you could say found refuge uh in many different european countries uh including kazakhstan who said that they're not even going to uh return any refugees unless they're an active fugitive uh georgia and finland are also uh in the business right now of you know accepting refugees but of course this is you know a very you know serious situation so not every country is on board about all this so again this is you know again a, a very serious issue it's a tense, a tense issue right now but let's keep it real here if you know russia really had the upper hand why would they need 300 more 300,000 more troops for something that they thought well at least we all thought that they'd easily be able to you know handle or you know at least we you know we weren't hoping for it to happen you know it's like god damn you know but we all thought that russia would be able to come in and do what they do well actually between between you and i let's be real here what have they ever done <laughs> so i mean again I, I mean if we look at the world wars again they've they had these big armies but again where did they even do anything in those wars sure they were they got the best of the nazis but that's because they couldn't handle the winner so I mean, we all know about them historically. And since then, what conflict that they've been in to really justify, oh, the annexation of these areas a while back or Crimea, where there was no real conflict. There was no army in Crimea. They just came in there and took it over. So let's be real here. And, uh, you know, as much as we want to say that happened under Democratic rule, well, Republican leaders allowed their armies to amass and be ready for that. Now, for example, with Trump, even if we look back into this situation, we can look about how Trump you know, tried to have his influence all over this. And he was involved in manipulating this because we can sit there and say, oh, well, Trump armed the Ukraine. He tried to help, you know, stymie Russia and all that. That was bullshit because if you look at it, he tried to uh, extort Ukraine. He's tried to, he tried to force them to investigate illegally because it wasn't none of their jurisdiction to, to investigate, uh, you know, Biden and his son. We all saw the transcripts. So let's not act like, oh, my God, he really stood up to Russia. No, he allowed Russia to do whatever the fuck they were going to do. Just like the, he allowed Russia to, 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 to have their air force all within our airspace, going into our territory, punking our, punking our warheads, punking our, uh, excuse me, not, not our warheads, but our, uh, our aircrafts, punking our, 
you know, our merchant vessels within the Arctic Ocean with their Navy. That's what Trump was allowing to do while they're again. And they're doing all that. Why? They're, why do you think they were mobilizing and getting their 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 air forces out there? Why do you think they're you know, they have their 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 Navy, you know, circling different areas and all that they're setting up for something so we can sit there and say oh trump stood up to who he didn't stand up to nobody because the people were getting russia was getting ready for this conflict the entire time just like with north korea oh he stopped them from making nukes that's a fucking lie he didn't do that so again now you have this armed conflict in which you know russia has invaded this country because trump didn't do shit and of course biden didn't you know really stand up to it either other than here's these sanctions so here's what you get do we need to be really involved if we if we now want to claim that you know you know the ukrainians are somehow these these nazis anyways well let's be real here russia's still not a friend of ours so why would we be involved in this in the first fucking place if that's the case but anyways let's move on to some drama at home of course uh, immigration has always been an issue here it will always be one now um again it's taking headlines as it usually does it's uh, you know election time this is you know particularly the right wings their you know their bread and butter in which they want to hang their hat on we have to stop this flow of illegal immigration but let's break some of it down and uh, let's be honest here uh, just going into this there is some issues uh in terms of you know well let's just talk about let's just lay it all out here now this recent spike of immigrants are coming from Venezuela. Now, of course, Venezuela and their elected official, their, its leader, Maduro, can't remember his first name. He's facing all these human rights charges now uh, because of all this. And again, there's a lot of friction and things going on within that country. I got to figure out the skinny on that as well. But it's forcing all these people to come here. And a lot of these people are claiming asylum a lot of people that end up here uh claim asylum we'll get into those uh, those numbers in just a second uh you know and one thing i will say before i go into you know uh, everything else it's this you know i find it funny or maybe even ironic how you know, us as Americans, we seem to have this issue about uh, uh, immigrants, whether they're illegal or not. And uh, of course, it seems to me that all the different groups of America, racial groups, seem to have some type of issue to some extent. Uh, but I think the most vocal have been the white and the black folk, just just keeping it honest. Uh, but there seems to be this failure amongst Americans to realize that particularly even in these Latin American countries, particularly uh, so uh, Mexico, it doesn't matter, Guatemala, Panama, uh, the U.S. has had some type of influence in what's going on, uh, you know, in terms of, a neg you know, particularly in a negative fashion and you know this dismantling and this you know of their government let's be real here and the interference within their government operations has forced these collapses has forced these leaders to come in that are committing these different violations forcing these people forcing these massive migrations so again we've done a lot to state destabilize these countries politically and there's no accountability there and again that continued you know decades and decades of that has has led to people finding uh, refuge within the united states so you know again it's ironic that we we have somewhat of an issue here but we're responsible for uh, again to some extent to a good extent you know why these people are here just keeping it real <laughs> 
Now, part of his recent headlines, you know, with all of this immigration is what these are, uh, you know, particularly these red states have been doing in response to this influx of immigration. Because, again, they don't care about these people. That's just naturally who they are. So, again, they don't have the resources to even deal with it. So what they've been doing and, of course, it's all great for their publicity, for their side of things, at least on their with how they feel, how they've going to going to going to, I guess, um prop themselves up as or how they are going to say it at least carry this you know this is a big win for them so what they're doing is they've been busing these immigrants you know from their spots of course the main states doing this uh the main governors behind this uh, greg abbott from texas and of course uh desantis out of florida so they've been shipping these or busing these uh immigrants that have been coming to their states and they've been sending them up north to places in massachusetts washington dc of course these liberal cities of course Martha's vineyard uh since they're so liberal and you know all that you know to kind of put it on their on their front door well, y'all deal with it since y'all want to be you know sanctuary places so you know again just kind of petty honestly it's, it's a way to be petty and again uh, we're going to get in more to this in just a second. Now, we mentioned a lot of these these people are facing or going to try to claim asylum, which they have, you know, a, you know, a, a legit reason to doing. If you're looking, if you've looked into what's going on in, uh, in Venezuela right now, some of these other areas right now, I can't tell you all of everything but it's some serious stuff going on like i, I like i mentioned before their leader uh, maduro he's facing many counts of human rights violations you know in terms of murders and things of that nature and keeping that you know keeping those people down and wealth inequality you know again think of the stuff that we say that we go through but imagine it to a tenth uh, tenth 15th degree so you know a lot more massive and a lot more corrupt and if you look at some of his recent history he's had some connection with trump as well and some you know some type of buddy buddy connection so again another example of how we're you know we're involved in these people's you know situations and manipulating and trying to put our own spin and influence on it and again it it's not helping these countries let's just keep it real now again um it's projected that up to 300,000 people just this year alone will claim asylum. Now, again, now all these people will attain asylum. And of course, you know, they'll have their, you know, their time in the USA come to an end. But instead of accepting those papers and accepting that, a lot of them will just choose to stay anyway. And this becomes the illegal immigration problem. You know, this is where all this comes from. Now, again, uh, there are up to 10 million people here illegally. Okay. Now, I know on the surface that, you know, people look at that number and they say, wow, that's a lot compared to about 300 million over 300 million. It's still I mean, in my opinion, you know, I guess that's a lot. But compared to the overall population for me, I don't see where it's all that much of an issue. Um, again, we're going to we're going to act as though that crime has become this this rampant problem. Uh, crime has always been an issue in this country, regardless of what the immigrant stream uh, was or has been. Now, for example, the uh, crime rate has gone up, um, you know, in the past uh, decades or so, past at least decade or so. Uh, but there's no real, you know, correlation with that crime and it being done by, you know, illegal immigrants a lot again you look at the prison system you it's a lot of homegrown americans particularly black people 
Now, that's not to say that we're bad. or Again, that's a, another reflection of what we got going on, another issue we have going on in terms of our presences, and which, again, which is why I wouldn't, I wouldn't get on the, the platform or I would never be a part of the platform of calling out immigrants and trying to be against whatever they got trying to do positive because I know this country, they'll lock us up within a minute. And you know what I'm saying? So again, they don't do people all all fairly. So I, I'm not jumping on the platform of yeah, let's let's be critical of immig immigrants and and let's not just make sure that they can't come here. Whatever, keep them all out. I think there's a way to do it legally, and I think there's a way to 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 usher these people in and help assimilate them. You know, I think that there's uh, there's a lot of things that promote. Um, this massive or this large number that you guys might, you know, look at on the surface and get an issue with, you know, again, for example, you know, it costs massive amounts of dollars to get people in this country. Like, again, I think there should be some type, You, sh I mean, I guess you want people to pay to some extent. I don't know why they were, they would be, you know, I don't know why you want to charge people for, you know, citizenship. I think it would just be as a matter of checking, you know, verific verification, like, you know, do you have, you know, foreign ID, anything to look you up in any type of, you know, d database from where you've come from, your country of origin, do you have an equivalent birth certificate, things of that nature, figuring out who you are as opposed to paying thousands of dollars to get just yourself into this country. I think if it wasn't so focused on people trying to, or, or making people pay maximum or thousands of dollars, you wouldn't have people risk in their lives just to come here illegally they'll probably be able to be you know uh, you know again if you reduce those costs and and don't give them so many you know you know uh, hoops to get through in the first fucking place you know i think you'd have more legit immigration i think you can process people at the border uh you know bring them in you know, filter them into different, you know, sections. Okay. You're facing that you're going for asylum. You're just applying for immigration. There's a way that you can figure this out. And again, we'll get into some more, a couple of reasons as to why we're having these issues. Uh, again, as far as the asylum system, the courts are understaffed. So you have cases uh, that are mounting up to five years. So people are waiting just to have their cases heard. In the meantime, whatever, you know, visa they're under or whatever situation it lapses. So, again, there's this constant, you know, pressure of these people being under the gun. This is why I feel like there should be much more of a streamlined uh, immigration system, uh, much like it was you know, when people are coming here through Ellis Island. And I think a, a part of the reason why there's so another and, before, and just to be honest, which I think one of the biggest reasons why there's such a, a big problem here about immigration per se is because we have to look at demogra demographics as well, because this country is looking like it's going to go brown by 2050. Now, non non black his or Latin non black non brown Latinos or non, I guess you would say the, I guess you say all all brown people that are not Latino are looking at this as some type of victory. Particularly, you know, sometimes in a lot of circles, it seems like to me black folk too, like oh yeah we're gonna. Uh, but what you have to realize with that is it's gonna be a lot more Latino than anybody else. So, and again, you're gonna have to live with that. But you have to understand. 
the closeness we are to those countries in terms of our border. I mean, that's just naturally who's going to be probably coming here the most. And so you've had this 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 trend of these Latino immigrants coming. And again, it's it's it's, uh, it's offset demographics, because, again, you don't I don't hear, you know, again, we're talking illegal immigration. You know, it seems like these these groups of people from you know, Southern and Latin America are facing these issues because, again, it looks like they're the ones coming across here, you know, more so illegally. But again, there's again, there's so much strife within there's within those countries for one. And then B, America understands this. We understand what these people are going through, but we somehow think it's proper to charge them again up to ten thousand dollars our money. Knowing their financial situations, let me be real here. Knowing their financial situations, charging these amounts of money for them just to be one person just to get in this country. Now, if you drop that down to maybe $200, $300 for some of these fees, let's be real here. Let's be reasonable. If we're doing it the right way, I don't mind my tax dollars going into some type of uh, system that funnels these people in a little bit quicker and, and says, here, here's a longer visa. Here, here's some benefits while you, you know, you get by. You're actually, you know, applying and doing the right things to attain citizenship. Again, we have to look at it like that. But if some of us, you know, again, we don't we don't give a fuck if other Americans get certain benefits. or We don't want other Americans to, to, to get certain benefits based on certain bullshit. So convoluted system to say the least so again you have these backed up courts in terms of the asylum system so you can't get people really getting their cases heard um as another uh issue here in terms of these illegal numbers uh as this recent uh trump uh ordinance that was stopped under biden that would have uh have these people uh that are you know pending these asylum cases they would First of all, they'd be kept in Mexico. Now they've been allowed to come up, come to America. And again, as you know, their papers expire or their cases don't get unheard or take, you know, it just takes forever. And again, some of these people just get lost in the system. So again, you have these complications here again. And if we, if we look at it, you know, from a, a larger perspective, only 13% of the people in this country are foreign born. And that is the lowest out of all the industrial nations. Like that's the same percentage of black people in this country. So again, there's still a majority of you know of American-born people here. So it's just like I don't know the 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 the, the beef with this. You know, don't get me wrong. Like you know, and another part of the red argument is that there's no defense on the border. There's you know, it's just a free for all. But the number of you know, there's been two million migrants that have been apprehended at the border this year. And, you know, whatever happened to them in their uh, process after that is, is what happens. But just think about it. Two million people have already been apprehended at the borders. And this is a quote coming from Teresa Cardinal Brown. Uh, she's a managing director at the Immigration and Cross Border Policy and at the Bipo at the Bipartisan Policy Center. So she has to she has to come up with you know help come up with legislation or pops possible legislation that's unbiased and all that. This is her quote. She goes on to say. If the borders were really open, the number of apprehensions would be basically zero because we're not catching anybody. And it's obvious that we are. It's obvious that we're looking at immigration. But again, we're we're trying to address it again from a, a liberal way or just, a, a, you know, a Republican way. And there hasn't been any solutions for it. You know, just a lot of jargon, just a lot of opinion being thrown out there, you know. So, again, and, and let's be real here. 
as far as these people coming here illegally, there's not much that they can really do outside of maybe get some benefits if you're in a specific state that allows that, like California. So I get I understand the argument for, you know, coming out of your tax dollars for something potentially like that. But then this is the same populace that doesn't doesn't want their tax dollars to go to certain school districts so they can get, you know, fed free lunch or, you know, upgraded school books and shit like that. So we have a lot of, you know, issues that we have to work through as people, in my opinion, you know, and I think it's really, you know, goofy that, you know, instead of really addressing the situation and, and trying to figure out what we can do to really, you know, provide some type of uh, real, you know, semblance of, of welcomeness in this country. We'd rather, you know, put this shit all over TV and, and, and act like we're doing something. Oh, we're going to ship them to Kamala Harris's house. That doesn't help that. That doesn't help the situation. You know what I'm saying? And this is my this is my thing that I've come to the come to, you know, a conclusion of. It's almost like the somebody uh, if you look at it almost like us uh, us American born folks, it's almost like you're afraid to compete with these groups of people because you're afraid of the potential that they could have. It's like I'm not I'm not afraid of 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 having to compete with with, you know, an immigrant that's why we have our schools. That's why we're supposed to be having our schools at the top-notch standard. So, again, when they come here, they can, they can you know, get into that, too. But also, we have, the, we have you know, our own, you know, way to go about it. And this is also, you know, if you look at the Republicans, they, they try to claim that they, you know, pull yourself up by the bootstraps anyway. So, who cares about the folks that's getting health care or, or whatever? You shouldn't be worried about who gets what. You should be trying to do your own, right? You know what I'm saying? It's like there's this there's this hatred. I'm not I'm not cons if, if again, we are in a society in which we can educate ourselves just like they can when they come here. You can get Pell Grants, too. You can get student loans. Again, we're having them canceled. I mean, come on now. Like, I, I think we just we have just as much as an opportunity as they do for the first time. And again, it doesn't matter if it's red or blue. Everybody wants to blame somebody else. It's just like the Republicans, they want to blame blacks. They want to blame all these different special interest groups. You look at the liberals, they want to blame white folks. Again, I'm not blaming immigrants for whatever I amount to in life. That's not their fault. I know for a fact that I have an opportunity. I know just how to go do it. I mean, again, nothing is keeping us from schools. Nothing should be. There's no law that keeps us from going to no school. You can get an education if you were. I mean, again, at the very when they when these people are coming here, they don't have a social security number. They don't have any type of identification. Where can they work other than under the table? So what jobs? Again, I've always asked this question. What jobs are they really taking from you? A lot of people come here, even when they're educated, their their education systems aren't even well, they're not even considered necessarily to be on par with American schools. So even the ones that come here with some type of degree or something, it's cast down because it's not American. So, again, what jobs are they taking that they're really competing with you with? Honestly. An illegal immigrant can't really compete with you in the job market, really. Now, after a certain point in time, maybe once they get established, once they get uh, some some ID behind them, but they can only get under the work under the table work, which is what a lot of them end up striving on. 
again, I mean, I mean, they end up doing doing the type of work that a lot of us could do, you know, as a freelancer, too. So I don't know why y'all bitching about what they're doing. I think y'all y'all need to worry about yourself and trying to do the best for yourself and stop making excuses and stop trying to blame other groups. That's what I think we should be doing as Americans. But I'm going to take a uh, take a quick break. We come back, we break it down to some MLB uh, action. Of course, we're looking through the standings, uh, breaking things down for the playoffs. I got some headlines to go over as well. So I'll be right back, y'all. All right, y'all, we are back. We're going to break down some MLB headlines, of course, like I mentioned before, to get through the standings as well. Uh, but we are uh, at the, well, pretty much near the end of the year. And for a lot of these teams, the, you know, the journey to the offseason has already started in terms of their front office moves, in terms of their manager moves. So to start off everything today, I'm going to be breaking down a story coming from Kansas City where they've uh, let go one of their, you know, front office guys. And then we'll be breaking down some other manager over openings across the league so let's go ahead and get into it uh kansas city has decided to fire president of baseball operations dayton moore uh they've gone and promoted their general manager jj piccolo to take over the spot now moore will start off his career in 1994 as a scout with the atlanta braves and eventually work his way up to an assistant gm with the squad and in 20 uh, 2006 he will be hired as kansas city's general now, things will start off a little bit rocky, of course, uh, with the team in, a, in the midst of a period of nine losing seasons. Now, as time went on, they would assemble a young core that consisted of all-stars such as Alice Gordon, Mike Moustakas, Eric Hosmer, as well as Lorenzo Cain, Alcides Escobar, James Shields, Wade Phillips, Salvador Perez, and Giordano Ventura. Uh, they would, uh, imp- they, this uh, core right here will see this team improve dramatically as they would hit the 500 mark uh, to end 2013, they were going to win an AL pennant in 2014, and we're going to eventually win the World Series the year after. But again, the success would be fleeting because they will go ahead and fall off the very next year, finishing at 581 and 81. Now, uh, ever since then, it's just gotten even worse and worse. Uh, they've they've attempted to replicate the past success by developing a younger core. Uh, at this point, we have uh, some some players such as Bobby Witt, Daniel Lynch, and Brady Single. But again, it hasn't really, uh, you know, yielded any positive net results. Now, currently, they have a record of, I believe, uh, 59 and 89. Actually, it might be. Actually, it's a little bit worse now. Uh, but this this is pretty much their sixth straight losing season. Now, Piccolo takes over after originally starting as a scout as well for the Braves. Matter of fact, he was brought in along with Moore. Um, again, it's kind of one of those things where you're, you know, the guy that, you know, that you trained or that you kind of were overseeing and trained up takes your spot it's one of those things uh but um piccolo was brought in as a director of player development and i think that's smart because uh you know the main guy in charge you know you know at least a player personnel is going to be somebody who you know is you know has been responsible for player development so you know you're going to get uh players that should fit that system that you know that could be developed in the right way you have somebody who's a part of that you know the general manager you know that's his background is player development so i think that should go a positive step for them because that that should be there. You think that would be their focus, developing talent. Uh, again, they have a workable, um, you know, cap situation, a payroll that's you know not necessarily deep. I think Salvador Perez is like the only player that they'll have to worry about for future years on their books. So uh, they have some flexibility there. So we'll have to see what happens. But again, they have kind of have to start from the beginning again. This is you know a rebuild. 
3.0 for them. But uh, let's move on. Uh, Don Mattingly of the Marlins, he's gone. Um, on Sunday, they decided to let him go uh, after seven seasons. Uh, of course, he'll well, his his job will be done officially at the end of the year. Uh, he's finished his time in Miami, 437 and 43, two and three in the postseason. Uh, of course, he had a very decent stint in the in when he was with LA going to the playoffs again, no real, you know, Royal series success, no trophies to bring home. But again, he was at least going to the playoffs, had a winning record, leaving the Dodgers. And again, things have just fallen off uh, since he went to Miami, but his best season was in 20, 2020 when they were barely above 500 at 31 and 29, they would finish second in the AL East, the NL East, excuse me. And uh, we'll go on to win the wild card round versus the Cubs that year, but we'll lose the NLDS to the Braves. Uh, they did finish second in the NL East, in 2016 but had a record of 77 and 85 but they bet and their best record would come in 2015 when they would go get this 79 and 82 so again it just wasn't working uh they gave him enough time uh currently this season uh they're only about at about 65 wins 63 wins around there you know just barely above 60 wins so again it just wasn't working and um you know this is what you have uh other teams that are looking to fill the void right now in terms of their manager we have los angeles again like i told y'all before i'm not saying the angels I'm not saying the LA Angels, it's redundant. I'm just going Los Angeles because that's the Angels. So anyways, they are looking to uh, fill up their interim spot. Of course, well, sorry, Phil Nevin has been their interim uh, so far. Things haven't gone out with well worked well with him either. A couple of the candidates available right now that they're well, at least that's been said uh, that they're looking at is, of course, former Giants manager Bruce Bochy, three-time World Series champion. Uh, if I'm not mistaken, he was a manager for the Padres as well. So, again, very well-versed with California teams. Again, he has a, a World Series uh, pedigree. Again, his last few years, he ended up actually, uh, his last few years, kind of, he went on a downturn, and he actually has a currently a losing record but i don't think that that really matters uh but again you know it's definitely somebody with some experience up next we have joe espada uh a bench coach coming from houston uh really highly regarded he's you're gonna see his name pop up with just about all these vacancies and then of course we have walt weiss a uh, former manager for the rockies that didn't go as well but he's currently been a bench a bench coach for the braves and uh that uh staff of coaches have been highly regarded around the league and many play and many coaches excuse me on that staff are being uh, linked to multiple jobs uh, throughout the league. But moving on to the Blue Jays, we have John Snyder. He's been the interim so far. Uh, he replaced Charlie Montonio uh, earlier in July. The team would struggle at that point, uh, but they are set to pretty much make the playoffs at this point. They've been able to right the ship, improve in a lot of different ways. Uh, but outside of that, uh, outside of him, we other got the other candidates include Joe Espada. Again, I mentioned him before. And of course, Eddie Perez, a catching coach for the Braves. Again, I mentioned how that coaching staff is being linked to a bunch of different jobs but i think this is the only situation in which i would see the interim really having the upper hand because of course he's helping lead this team to the playoffs as we speak that should get you somewhere at least i would think so up next we have rob thompson uh the interim here for the phillies so of course that means they're looking to fill up a spot possibly a couple of guys here uh that they're saying are in the mix is brad osmus bench coach for the oakland a's and of course matt 
Harrow, uh, the Rays bench coach. Uh, Thompson, of course, he's sort of in the mix as well. Of course, he's trying to keep them uh, in in line, at least for a place. He's hoping that he can keep them in line for a uh, playoff spot. Uh, but we also have Mike Shosha here. Uh, he's currently the manager of Team USA Baseball. He's also a former manager for the Angels. I believe he won a World Series title with them as well. Uh, been around uh, the league for at least, well, he, at least he was a manager for at least 20 years. So a solid amount of experience there. So we'll have to see. Of course, this is all speculation. We don't know until, you know, the offseason starts. Uh, behind him, we have Tony Beasley of the Rangers. He's currently serving as their interim. Uh, the uh, the main candidates I've heard so far for them, of course, like I mentioned, Joe Espada. His name is being brought up everywhere. And, of course, Mike Shosha again. And then, finally, uh, we have Tony LaRusso here. Uh, you know, he has been placed on medical leave. Um, and he, it's, I... There isn't anything official about his future just yet, but I'm thinking with his age and his current situation right now, it might, and he's not going to be around for the best, for the rest of the season. It might be, um, it might be his last little bit of time with the team. They might be looking for something new in the offseason. Of course, as far as his issues are, his health issues are, he's, he's dealing with some issues with his heart right now and related to his pacemaker so all prayers up to him again i don't want to speculate too hard uh the interim miguel cairo is their top candidate though uh so moving on from that uh let's get through the standings uh we're gonna we're basically like i said at the end of the season a few more games about 10 more games left so at this point we've pretty much established who's won the 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 divisions uh we are pretty much just figuring out what the seeds are for the playoffs so um i'm not gonna go too deep um outside of the top two or three teams of course the teams inside the wild card we'll talk a little bit we'll get into a little bit of that uh but again we're gonna get into the, the, the division leaders and we'll move from there but we're gonna start off in the american league uh in the east we have the yankees clinching that division a 96 and 59 9 and 1 the last 10 back-to-back -back wins for them a plus 235 run differential the second best in all of in all of baseball of course aaron judge is the story right now 61 home runs is what he's sitting on right now that ties the American League single-season uh, single record along with Roger Maris. He's looking to break that uh, pretty soon. Up next, we have the Blue Jays here. It's 87 and 69, 9.5 games back, 4 and 6 in the last 10. It's interesting because, of course, they're holding on to that, that wild card spot, at least that top, that top seed there. Behind them, we have the Rays at 85 and 74 and 6 in their last 10 as well. We have the Orioles at 80 and 75, and, of course, the Red Sox, 74. 481, 22 games back, negative 42 run differential. That's all you need to know. This team sucked this season. Moving to the Central, we had the Guardians here, 87 and 69. They've gone ahead and clinched the division despite all the drama surrounding them this season. Eight and two in the last 10. But I will say this: they are 21 and 24 against teams above 500. That might be that might be an issue for them going into this uh, playoff situation. But they are a top 20 team in terms of offense. They are they have a 690 OPS that puts them around 19th. Uh, but they are a solid pitching squad. They are sixth um, in terms of team ERA with a three uh, with a 3.50, and they're also fifth in WHIP. Uh, with a 1.17 behind them we have the chicago white Sox. it's not that close they are 76 and 79 of course we've already mentioned the drama that they're having of course with their coach's situation or at least their manager situation eight and five uh eight and a half games back excuse me two and uh, two and eight in the last 10 eight straight losses 
again, they've kind of unraveled. Behind them, we uh, well, right behind them, or they tied actually, are, is the Twins at 76 and 79. We have the Royals here at 63 and 92, and then the Tigers at 62. Uh, 62 and 92, 24 and a half games back. They've hired a new GM from San Francisco, Scott Harris. Uh, Scott was a part of a 100-plus win team last season that made it to the playoffs. Uh, he was also an assistant GM to the Cubs when they uh, when they go have the, when they would have their World Series one uh, run in 2016. As for the Tigers, uh, they're looking to start again. You know. Uh, particularly at the top because they've struggled mightily the past, the past few seasons. Uh, they only won 77 games last season, just 23 wins in 2020. I believe they won 41 in 2019. So this is a team, again, that's been through the through the ringer uh, the past uh, decade, just trying to maintain, trying to rebuild, and it just hasn't worked. But, again... Here we are. They have a new GM. They're gonna to try to start there. We have the West. We're going out. To, we're going out to the AL West. We have the Astros here, 102 and 54, the best regular course in the American League. Seven and three in the last ten. Sixth uh, best offensive team out there with a 7.43 OPS. Uh, the sixth best slugging percentage in in baseball right now. They also are fourth in home runs with 208, and they are seventh in RBIs uh, with 695. This team is a great pitching. Uh, this, this team has a Great pitching rotation as well. Uh, they're second in team ERA with a 2.92. We've already mentioned Justin Verlander a couple, uh, Justin Verlander a couple times. One of the best pitchers in the league right now, even at his age. Uh, they're also third in overall strikeouts as well. Uh, behind them, well behind them, we have the Mariners, uh, but they're still in the mix for the playoffs. Of course, in that wild card race, 84 and 70, 17 games back from the division lead. Uh, but again. You know, definitely in that playoff mix. Behind them, we have Los Angeles at 69 and 86. The Rangers at 66 and 88. And, of course, the A's, 45 games back, 56 and 99. Second worst run differential uh, out there in baseball, negative 205. 544 runs scored. That is second to last. Again, not too much good to say uh, here right now. Other than at least we're still going to be in Oakland as far as I know. Uh, for the wild card, uh, remember the two uh, the two division winners with the best record get the first round by the other four squads will face off in a three-game wild card series with the top seed uh, with the top seeds uh, taking home field advantage for the entire series. So uh, in that race, of course, you mentioned uh, the Blue Jays. They are 39 and 46 against teams above 500. So uh, I don't know about that. I don't, you know. That doesn't look too good to me. Uh, we have the Rays here, 51 and 30, uh, 51 and 30, sorry, 51 and 30 record at home. Uh, that they are definitely, I think they're going to be in the driver's seat in terms of their home field advantage, depending on how things um, things go for them. I think they should be having home field advantage in their series. And then uh, we have the Mariners here, 84 and 70. They seem to have the only record of the only winning record. Um, amongst these, the rest of the four, um, not the not the two best divisional leaders, meaning the Astros and the Yankees, but everybody outside of that, meaning the you know the Blue Jays, the Rays, and of course the Indies, they had the best record against teams above 500 at 37 and 29. Now off to the National League, we have the Mets here uh, in the East, on top of the East at 98 and 58, seven and three in the last ten. Uh, they have a series that's about to go off. Uh, there, there's a there's a series that they're about to take off in uh, against Atlanta. This is pretty much. For for playoff seating and of course you know 
divisional rights as well. Uh, but their starting outfielder, uh, Sterling Marte, he will be out with a finger fracture, so that might hold them back. Speaking of the Atlanta Braves, they are 97 and 59, just a game back. They're third in run score with 764. They're also second in home runs with 234. But they're also second in team ERA as well. So uh, not any, not there's not too much that you can take away from this team. They've definitely earned their spot, and they're looking to. They're looking to potentially even snatch this division up, so we'll see. Uh, behind them, we have the Phillies here, 14 games back, 83 and 71. Uh, they're fighting. Uh, they're trying to at least. We have the Marlins here at 64 and 91, and the Nationals here at five, uh, sorry, 54 and 101, 29 and a half games back, a negative 227 run differential, which is the worst in the MLB right now. 809 runs allowed. That is the most in Major League Baseball as well. Uh, moving on to the Central. We have the Cardinals here. They seem to hold on. They seem to have held on and clinched that division with a 90 and 66 record. Uh, four and six in the last 10, though. So they're on the downtrend. Um, and their last game was a seven to five loss to Milwaukee, who's actually still in that playoff hunt, believe it or not. Behind them, uh, we have the Brewers, 83 and 72, six and five in the last 10, five and five in the last 10. Uh, this team has been relying on that pitching staff uh, to get them through fourth and team ERA with a 3.9. They're also fifth in batting average allowed with a 231. Uh, we have the Cubs here at 69 and 86. Uh, the Reds here at 60 and 96. And then we have the Pirates at the bottom here, 31 games back at 59 and 97. Now in the West, we have the Dodgers here at 107 and 48. Six and four in the last 10. Of course, um, that is a franchise record of win for wins. Plus 332 run differential, which is the best in baseball. They scored the most runs with 816. They've also allowed the least amount of runs with 494. So dominance, 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 dominance. And then we have the Padres here, 86 and 59, 21 games back. It ain't even close. Seven and three in the last 10. They lost their last six meetings against the Dodgers. The Dodgers are, have already told y'all they're not a threat to us in the playoffs. That's what they're saying. I, and I believe them. Uh, let's move on to the Giants. They are 77 and 78. One good thing I will say is uh, Buster Posey has become a minority owner of the team, uh, using his own ends to do so. Uh, I think it's a great move for him. Uh, just trying to elevate. Sorry, elevate. I don't want to say that. Elevate himself um, and doing some extra things outside of just being a player. I think it's a good move um, and actually a good recruiting tool for the Giants as well. They got one of their potential Hall of Famers, or well, definitely first ballot Hall of Famers as a face of the franchise, uh, even if he's not a player. I think that's uh, smart on their part. Uh, but moving on, we have the Deep Diamondbacks here at 72 and 84 and the Rockies at 65 and 90. And if we look at the wild card, of course, the main thing here is the Braves and the Mets. Uh, Whoever comes out, you know, the loser of this series pretty much is probably going to hold on to that wild card spot. Um, so, again, they're, they're going to be taking on the Padres or Phillies or whatever. The Padres are 24 and 35 against teams above 500. I don't like their shots in the playoffs, but that's me. Uh, and, of course, we have the Phillies here, 83 and 71, 3 and 7 in their last 10, four losses in a row. Uh, they're 36 and 37 away from home. And they were up seven. They were actually 17 games above 500 just a month ago. So they've completely fallen apart. 
Uh, their last game was a 4-2 loss to the Cubs. Aaron Nola would give up a three-run home run in the fifth. Uh, fourth, that was their fourth straight loss. They also had 14 runners on base, so they couldn't even drive in any runs. So uh, there's eight games left, so they have a chance, but they got to really stay consistent. They got to win the majority of those games because, of course, right behind them is the Brewers at 83 and 72. Uh, they have seven games left, So, and the, the thing is they've stayed a little bit more consistent. So we're going to have some drama coming at the end of the season. Season, uh, I think again uh, with the Brewers still being in the mix, it creates a, a very interesting situation to say the least. All right, y'all, I'm gonna take one last quick break, and we'll be breaking down the NFL. And of course, I have in a have a segment of a palm for the review waiting for you guys as well. All right, y'all, we're going to wrap this up for today. We are going to get into the NFL side of things. Uh, we're going to look at the main stories out there right now. Uh, first things first, no more Pro Bowl. The league has decided to replace the Pro Bowl with a week-long skills challenge and a uh, flag football game, of course, NFC versus AFC. Uh, of course, it's all going to be taking uh, taking place next February at Las Vegas' Allegiant Stadium. Yeah, okay. So, uh, OG Peyton Manning, along with his production company, Omaha Productions, will be responsible for coming up with the various events. Uh, Manning will also serve as uh, a coach for the f for the flag football game. Really great, uh, I guess. You know, um, the Pro Bowl first. Let's get some more history about the Pro Bowl before I give you my thoughts. Uh, some more history here. Uh, the Pro Bowl was forced Ergen force organized in 1951 in Los Angeles, but would eventually move to different cities uh, after 1972. Hawaii would serve as the uh, one of the main hosts from 1980 to 2009, and in subse subsequent years, it's reverted back to visiting different cities again. Uh, Miami, uh, Phoenix, Orlando, and of course, Las Vegas, just to name a few. So, I don't know uh, in terms of who's going to be the host city, if they're going to go back to that, or you know, just staying in Vegas for a while. I don't know as far as um the idea itself i suppose is okay um you know it seems like it's going to be fun they're trying to have fun and bring some excitement to it uh people have complained about the quality i've heard about these complaints as well i never really watched the pro ball uh for what it's worth i don't watch any all-star games just for you know what it's worth I only watch you know course uh you know very important regular season games and of course the playoffs and the championships that's how i try to keep it um you know for you know and of course highlights all the time but again uh all-star games never really excited me so uh whatever they decide to do i mean that's that's their thing y'all so um you know, apparently, you know, of course, the game, uh, it's not of great quality because everybody's taking it very lightly. They don't want to get hurt. And I get that. Uh, but it's it's crazy because um, there was this case. I can't remember the guy's name, but I think he was like a potential, you know, you know, he could have been a stud in the league. And I think he played either quarterback, cornerback, excuse me, defensive back or wide receiver. And uh, he was a, he had a similar situation. But this uh, flag football game was on some type of uh, desert base, I think, in Iraq or something. And, uh, you know, long story short, he ended up getting an injury and it messed up his whole career. So you can go, you're going to get hurt either way. Um, it just depends on, you know, what happens. Uh, but again, I think they want to cut down on that potential and, you know, want players at least to give it all they got. But again, it's an all-star 
game. I don't think, even if it's flag football, I mean, how hard do you expect for them to go? They're still going to be nonchalant with it, I feel. They're going to be cavalier with it. So, again, I, again, I don't watch it anyway. So, <laughs> just like with the, the Super Bowl halftime show, I, I don't care that Rihanna's going to be there. I don't care who's going to be headlining that. That's uh, reportedly, uh, reportedly, they're supposed to have Taylor Swift or something. I don't give a fuck. I'm not going to be watching that shit. I'm just going to be watching the game and maybe some of the commercials. So, again, I mean, if this is what they want to do, this is what they going to do. Of course, van, fan voting, as usual, will determine the roster. So, again, just, just look for those changes. But same, you know, same around the same time, right after the Super Bowl or before the Super Bowl. You know how they do. Uh, but moving on, uh, we have the injury report to go through. A couple major injuries. Uh, well, significant. I wouldn't say major for one. But Miles Garrett, of course, earlier in the week, well, maybe over, over the weekend, I guess you could say, um, he was in a, a car accident. He swerved off the road uh, to avoid, I believe it was hitting some type of animal or something like that. Uh, he's going to get cited with speeding, which sucks because his car completely flipped. He could have been in a very serious situation. Uh, but as far as injuries are concerned, I think it was something to do with his bicep, a, a sprained shoulder, uh, some cuts. And uh, on top of that, though, uh, the person driving with him is safe as well. So those are two good things outside of, of course, he has to get cited for speeding which damn kind of sucks and i don't know how they proved that other than i guess i guess he wouldn't i guess he wouldn't have had to go through what he had to unless he was speeding i guess um also uh he as far as i know he's not ruled out for saturday so if he does end up playing oh sunday excuse me so if he does end up playing iron man vibes uh he's doing the damn thing i can't be mad at him i personally would have said fuck it i'm <laughs> Calling out, particularly if I'm on his level, if I'm pretty damn good, anyways. I didn't, I didn't made my name in the game. So a car accident, I think that's that's a uh, that's good enough just to kind of lay it lay low. Um, I mean, and we're still relatively early. It ain't like they're gonna miss my presence per se. But again, eh, yeah, for this Browns team, they might need him, you know. But uh, again, like I said, uh, he there is a good chance he plays Sunday. Uh, but again, just some of those minor injuries he has to deal with. I don't think he was in practice. No, he was not in practice today. Now that I uh, think about it, uh, he was not in practice today. So uh, moving on, we have Mac Jones. He suffered, he suffered a high ankle sprain. This one's going to be a little bit serious. Uh, there is no clear timetable on his return, although he is set to miss multiple games. He will not need surgery, though. Just time to recuperate. Uh, you know, he he made the world know that he was hurt. So, you know, I hope, <laughs> I wish him the best, uh, definitely. Uh, but um, but one of those things, you know, that happened. Uh, I'm pretty sure he was in pain when it happened, you know, of course. And you just, you know, he's just going to be off of his leg for a while. Uh, does this open the door for somebody else? No, of course. You got Bailey Zapp there, the third string. You got Brian Hoyer there. Um, you know, but it has been a struggle, to say the least, for the squad. Uh, I think Brian Billet, uh, sorry, Bill Belichick, about to say Brian Belichick. I don't know why. But Bill Belichick uh, has a still, a, I mean, a significant losing record without uh, Tom Brady. I think he has 10 more losses than he does wins without Tom Brady. So it hasn't been easy. Um, but uh, I hope, uh, you know, I hope your boy Mac Jones, the speediest of recoveries, because, you know, they're going to need him to develop. You know, if he's going to if it's if this team is going to get better. Uh, but moving on now that we've gone past all that, uh, let's get through some uh, scores from week. Well, actually, nah. let's just let's just keep it easy. We're already going into week four. Uh, we have some games for Thursday night coming up, but I'm just going to give you guys some takeaways from week two. Uh, some things that I noticed, particularly from my squad, the Raiders, you know, 
it's been a past, it's been an ugly three weeks, just to say the least. And one of the main things that I've seen, I know a lot of people are not going to agree with me, uh, but I definitely, you know, I haven't seen that much of the running game. You know, I'm very disappointed in Josh Jacobs. Uh, I know a lot of people are going to put a lot on the offensive line, uh, but I'm going to kind of go to, uh, go to a bat for them. I'm going to have their back for a little bit. And I'm going to say the first game wasn't that great. Uh, they gave up seven sacks, but for what it's worth, the Chargers have a really good pass rush. And, um, and since then, we've only given up, I think, two sacks in the Arizona game, just one, I think, last week in Tennessee. And... You know, I think they've done their part. You know, they've gotten better. Do I think we definitely need to improve there? Do we still need some improvements there? Yes, but I think, again, that comes with reps. Um, a lot of these guys are still kind of new. Uh, they've never really been starters before. Uh, we're still trying to get, you know, and we're still in installing a new offense as we speak. Again, this it's one thing to practice and go through a whole offseason doing these plays and running these plays. But, you know, to go up against, you know, the rest of the league and they've had a chance to kind of do their homework about shit and you, you have to play, it's different. It's different. You know, game experience is different than practice reps. So let's be real here. So this 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 team has a a, while, a, a ways to go. Uh, you know, and I have noticed some improvement from from the offensive line. I'm going to say that personally. Now, as far as everything else is concerned, uh, Derek Carr's play, I think he's still been inconsistent, and I'm been I've you know gone a bad for him you know for a number of years now, trying to have his back, trying to make sure you know they don't you know, well I can't you know def I can only you know defend him for so long and whatever you know I don't want to sound like that like a protection squad member, but you know I've 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 said I've tried to be you know positive as much as I can. But uh, he's made some very questionable plays, you know, for example, in the, you know, in the, the, the Los Angeles game, made a couple bad passes, had some picks, you know, on him. Uh, same thing with last week. Uh, he had a, a, a very bad touch, uh, sorry, very bad interception in the red zone. That's not where you want to throw interceptions. And it's like, he, you know, is he really the guy, you know, and. You know, you have your buddy here from college and Devontae Adams, and he's been productive as he can be, but you can't be turning the ball over like that. We we had, we, you know, that if we would have scored in that in that end zone, you know, whether it was a touchdown or even just three points, that would have, you know, helped us out in the end. You know, it's just those questionable calls, the way he, you know, forces certain things. He's still doing that at this stage, and I don't like seeing that, and I'm just going to keep it real with you. And uh, people will try to defend, you know, Josh Jacobs. Oh, they don't run the ball in the end zone as much. And I think, you know, I think that's play calling. But that also shows that they don't trust him to score. Also, he hasn't had a game where he's had over 100 yards yet. So, you know, he has he's only any in the cold part is he's averaging about five yards per carry. You know, but he's not giving you those big gains. He's not, you know, score. He hasn't scored a touchdown yet. He hasn't broken off anything significant just yet. You know, a really big-time run. So, again, there's some questions here. And I think the, the, the receiver spot is pretty damn good. Devontae Adams has been productive for the most part. Um, Matt Collins had a really great game. Uh, Renfro, he's been hurt, but he's been productive enough, and so has Waller. So, you know, I think it comes down to quarterback play and the running back. I, I, I'm watching it because I've seen the, the O-line improve itself. 
I'm watching the O-line improve itself. Again, you know, Derek Carr has a little bit more time in the pocket. He's still able to, to pass the ball. I, I don't see any di- dynamic ability from Josh Jacobs, and I haven't seen that any dynamic ability from Derek Carr. And those are very two important pillars because what I've seen is a very one-dimensional offense. And once they want to throw the when they get out of hand, when they, things get out of hand, or they, they need to score because they're down, they have to throw the ball. But it becomes a very one-dimensional offense. You know, you can't you gotta be able to supplement that with some type of running game. So um I it's been very ugly to watch. But until we get a decent running game going, uh, until Derek Carr can cut off his mistakes, it's going to be a struggle. And defensively, no pass rush. And, of course, you know, we, we've had questionable corners, to say the least. Uh, but, again, no pass rush outside of, you know, Max Crosby. Those things got to change. Something's got to give. Everybody's roasting Josh McDaniels, but you got to remember, it's his whole system he has to bring in with a whole different set of, uh, you know, players. You know, so... Uh, you know, no excuses aside, it's been it's been bad. Uh, and I'm telling you what I've seen on my end that I, I can call out, you know. But here's my fingers crossed. I, I hope we can make something out of it. So let's move on. I'm going to wrap everything up today with a, with a upon further review segment. I told you I was going to get into some baseball movies to kind of wrap up the baseball season to some football movies and college football movies to get you into the, 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 the season, the mode of the season for that, too. So I'm going to start off with one of my favorite football movies of all time, The Replacements. Yes, I'm talking about Keanu Reeves and all that. So, um, really great movie to me. Like I mentioned before, um, this one came out in 2000. Again, Keanu Reeves is your main character, Shane Falco. Um, you know, we have Gene Hackman in this one playing the coach, Jenny McGinty, Jack Warden, the OG. I think he passed away a little while back. Uh, but he plays Ed O'Neill, the team owner. We got Faison Love, Orlando Jones, even John Faribault. This is one of the first movies I've seen him in. I think, although I think he's his uh, debut goes back a little bit further. But this is just the first movie that I've seen him in. Uh, but just basically what the movie is about, uh, the Washington Senators are in a midst of a player strike, at least their league as a whole and the owner like i mentioned ed o'neill he calls up one of his old coaches jimmy mcginty of course like i mentioned played by gene hackman and um you know he wants him to take over the final stretch and mcginty agrees as long as he's able to choose you know the squad you know that he wants and he gets to go and uh, he really gets to go set the table and, and go do that you see he assembles one of the most unique teams that you'll you know pretty much will come across uh now like i said he recruits players from you know varying levels of football experience from guys who've never played before uh like orlando jones's character clifford franklin we also got jumbo fumiko uh who was on the offensive line for these guys he was a former sumo wrestler uh we also got uh nigel gruff who was a french uh, sorry a welsh football player of course so again we got guys who never played before ranging from guys who have college experience like danny bateman john faribault's character he was a walk-on at michigan state he got tight in Brian Murphy, who was at Gallaudet University. Now, uh, Gallaudet University is a um, well-known university in Washington, D.C. for the deaf, uh, for the the blind, and 
those those uh, people of those nature. So again, you already kind of get an idea of, damn. Okay, so he's getting these guys. He's getting all different types of guys. Uh, of course, you got guys who have some pro experience on the on the team, like Earl Wilkinson, aka Ray Smith, who was a former defensive back and a kick returner. At this time in the movie, he's actually in prison for assaulting a police officer. And another thing that we'll get to in just a second is how these players uh, get along with each other, too. And I think that's another great thing about this movie and makes it not run of the mill. Uh, a lot of places you'll see uh, that rated poorly will say, oh, it's just like one of the run of the mill football movies. Uh, there's a lot of cliches. I think there's some cliches, but then a there's very there's a there's quite a bit of things that make this very different. Uh, but anyways, you also got Jamal and Andre Jackson. Uh, of course, Faison Love's character uh, being Jamal. These are the the starting guards. They used to play in the pros as well. But you know they were brothers, and uh, you know they did everything together as brothers. And their whole careers fell apart when they got traded. So you had all that going on. You got the running back Walter Cochran, who had uh, one game of pro experience before blowing out his knee, and then finally. Uh, the leader of the squad, you got Shane Falco, of course, uh, you know, Keanu Reeves' character, uh, made it to the pros himself, but he kind of was a washout. Uh, he, you know, he was an All-American in college at Ohio State, but he had a very bad ball game. And, you know, for some players, you know, it's, it's one of those things. And even in real life, you know, uh, a bad ball game could, you know, could mess up your whole draft stock and put you in a different headspace because everybody's coming at you different. And it's, it's been, I've seen it happen, you know, even in the course of my limited time on this earth. Uh, so again, it's a story of all these guys kind of coming together and rallying behind each other. This is again, why, you know, I feel like this movie is a lot different than your average because for one, you don't get to hear the story, you know, like this like of the of, of a strike like of all the movies that i've watched you know uh related to football you've seen the superstar side of it like with um you know any given sunday you see what happens with fame and instant fame and and the 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 glory that you see from some type of winning and and, and that happening uh you have movies like you know again it's a college football movie but it's rudy you know again victorious he succeeds at what he does underdog this movie's a lot different because, again, the guys in the end, they do get the victory uh, because, again, this is the final. They need to win the final three of the final four games just to get into the playoffs. So, again, that happens. You know, again, they, they experience that. But since these guys weren't pros to begin with, these guys weren't famous to begin with, after all this is done, they go back to their regular lives. Now, you don't see that part, but you at least get to you get to hear that gravity of that. Uh, Gene Hackman has a great uh, narrative at the end of the movie you know where he kind of you know lets, lets that all sink in where he goes these guys are not having a ticket tip ticket tape parade these guys are not getting no endorsements they're going right back to what they were doing so just to see these guys kind of get together and kind of form this nucleus despite all these different backgrounds for one um danny bateman's character uh he was a current member of the dc swat team and again him being on the same team with somebody who again uh albeit you know, they had, they, you know, of course, it's the movie and, you know, they, you know, they got the plot. They had to make the plot work. But, you know, you know, Earl Wickerson, you know, he's currently in prison for assaulting a police officer. So you have that dynamic. Uh, you have Nigel Gruff's character 
who is a compulsive gambler. Let's to say that you know to, to keep it you know blunt, and uh, he's put himself in a situation where he actually has to throw the game near the end, um, forcing Falco to kind of make that you know change at the line and into audible, and to and to help not only his teammate you know on a personal level but help help his team still win the game so you know all these different uh aspects and again how this team came together and became friends that's entirely different you know um they had to grind together they shared that time together they had to fight together because again the main antagonist because there is an antagonist in this movie and the main antagonist in in this movie is the pro players uh the players again that you know all these guys shane and you know all these different uh, Jamal and those guys, uh, Jumbo and Danny. They're replacing you know again the pro guys. You know led led by the the team's you know starting quarterback or franchise quarterback. Um, you know Eddie Martell and Eddie Martell. You know he uh, he's a two time champion, so he carries that with him that prestige. But again, over the years he's rubbed his fan base the wrong way. You know so. It's funny. This it's also it's also interesting to see how the city at first was really against these guys and like I don't want to see these bums play. I don't know who the hell these guys are. Shane Falco, he's a bum. We heard of, we seen what he did in college. But to see how, you know, things change over the course, you know, the three games or the four games, and to see how the city changes and respects Falco for being there for them and and showing the heart, you know, showing the effort. Because he might not be the greatest of quarterbacks, but again, um, in terms of being a leader, in terms of stepping stepping up and caring about his team, you could see that. Um, I definitely saw, you know, Keanu as a as a as a quarterback. Definitely, <laughs> you know, um, I don't know if you know if we're talking about his character wise, and we talking about him character wise. You know, Shane would would have uh, you know changed the game of football, but uh, given the right opportunity, who knows? You know, uh, the right coach uh, from the beginning, maybe a Jimmy McGinty. You know, who knows? You know, you have those what ifs, you know, um, and it was, a, it was a really interesting thing to see, because, again, you don't see a deaf player on a football team. You know, um, you don't see that how that that works in that interaction and just having that issue just to deal with. You know, and it, it was funny just to even have it brought up, you know, and, and the you know, because the coaches are, are talking to themselves. They're looking at the players and they're looking at the squad and like, well, how do we deal with this guy? How do we deal with that guy? You know, and, you know, it's it was good to see how it all came together now. Of course, you can't. It was only like a sample size because it's like a three game. It was a four game stretch. You don't get a, a chance to see a full season of what could happen with these backup guys. But it's never been a full season where you've had, you know, a full season strike with scabs or whatever you want to. And I, I don't even want to use that word because a little bit demeaning. But you, you, you've never really seen that. It's only been like a limited, you know, engagement type situation. So, you know, it kind of it kind of matched that up. You know, it, 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 I thought it was realistic to some extent in the way. The cinematography as well, the football cuts, the football action—it seemed to it seemed to fit the movie very well. It just wasn't just some added part of the movie. Uh, in my opinion, it, it blended very well. There were some things that were cliche. Of course, he gets with the cheerleader, that being the quarterback at the end. But outside of that, again, you know, we're talking about these regular guys just going through these situations and and going back to their regular regular lives afterwards. So just to kind of showcase that and the bonding with this team. Of course, uh, one of my favorite scenes is when um 
uh, the the pro players and Eddie Martell, they're messing with Shane and they tip his car over. But here come, you know, Jamal and his brother and they're like, we're the guards. We protect the quarterback. And at first they, you know, the other, you know, the pros are laughing at him. You know, they, you know, they kind of playing him off. But they say, OK, they look at Eddie Martell's ride. It's like, that's your ride. Right. And they said, yeah, yeah, yeah. And they put some holes in that thing. They, you know, they had to they had to uh, tell them to help they man out, flip the car back up and all that. So just seeing the team getting along and, and and, you know, show, showcasing that camaraderie, even in the and even in the first game that they had together, they did lose. But just kind of having the, the the huddle, kind of being unison, that was the biggest victory there. Just to kind of do that, that broke the ice. S- seeing how they broke the ice was probably the best part of the movie. You know, the the scene where they came together, did the electric slide to "I Will Survive" by Gloria Gaynor. That's a that's a damn good scene. You know, that's a bonding. You know, and you want to see that in your in your sports movie. Some of the best one showcase that like remember the titans stuff like that you see that 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 showcase of them finally coming together and realizing we in this for a, a common goal um Another good scene was when, uh, you know, McGinty was was having a chalk talk with the guys and they got to get deeper into what their fears were revolving this second chance and talking about how life would be when they do go back to their regular lives and what they what to look out for and what, you know, they wanted to improve on and just fear in general, fear of failing in that situation. And um, you don't always have those, you know, type of discussions because again it's not that situation you're seeing a lot of cases you'll see the blue chip prospect on his way to college you'll see the owner on draft day you know doing his this due diligence to make the best draft pick and it's a happy story but not necessarily in this one it's very bittersweet because after all this is said and done everybody like i mentioned i I can't help but drive this point home even even more so they're not having any of that so uh, really great movie. There's laughs. There's some things to take away from it. There's some positive things of brotherhood, uh, teamwork, and coming together for, uh, again, a big time goal. So I love the movie. I personally gave it a B, uh, 8 out of 10. A lot of people might give it a 6 or a 7. I've seen lower in other places. I personally, I love the movie. I would say check it out if you haven't yet. All right, y'all, I'm going to call it a wrap for today. I'll be leaving my links available for you guys. If you haven't yet, please be sure to subscribe to the YouTube channel, Never Out of Bounds, the same name as the podcast. If anybody hasn't told you yet, I love you. Peace out. One love. As far as some future projects is concerned, look out for two things this weekend, particularly, uh, they're both going to be pretty much, yeah, they're both going to be on YouTube. Uh, I'm going to be going into Brett Favre. I've had to take my time, get some notes on it, kind of rest a little bit and really get my mind to deal with it uh to unravel some things here uh so that'll be out soon i also got a a pawn further review uh, another football classic for you guys any given sunday so take a look for both of those uh coming out as the weekend goes and also maybe even into monday um so keep a lookout for those as well all right y'all i'll let you guys later